0: We're going to pick up with a topic similar to this uh, in a few weeks. But tonight we're going to talk about what about those that have never heard. And so I just we just keep getting lighter with these issues, right? We're just, just getting easier and easier. So the question is, what about people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? What, what, is, what is their fate? Um, what about the guy on an island who has never come in contact with anybody? So we're going to do that. And we're going to pick up. Uh, which is impo- I know a guy by himself on an island never being in contact with anybody is kind of impossible because he had to have parents. But you get the idea, the, the philosophical question, w- which we'll go through some of those. Um, and then we're going to, in a few weeks, we're going to pick up the debate about hell. We're going to talk specifically about Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, that's uh, still in the top 100 bestsellers in America right now. Um, and the whole reason it's probably in the top 100 bestsellers is because of the publicity that happened and then the response. And there are, I counted today on Amazon, 10 books that are being published in the next two months that are responses to him. So you would like to think those are guys that just really feel like the need to get the book out to respond and not the guys that think there's money to be made on a book that sold a couple million copies. But So we'll talk about that and really kind of what does the Bible say about hell? The, the truth is... The Bible says things about hell that we maybe not talk about or are comfortable with. And we say things about hell that aren't in the Bible sometimes. And so we'll talk about that and what, how we get our theology of it, where it comes from. We'll talk about a guy named John Milton in the middle of that. Uh, anybody know what John Milton wrote? Paradise Lost, which uh, between Paradise Lost and Dante's Inferno, they've come up with a lot of good things Not necessarily biblical things, but things that people kind of think about hell. So that's what we're going to do, all right? And if anybody objects, you can have the floor, all right? So uh, tonight we're going to do that. We're going to talk about kind of the issue of other religions, people that have never heard what the Bible says, what people think. And we're going to spend some time talking about what other people think. And so tonight we're going to use some ism words, and I don't want you to get caught up in... All the isms, you can write them down if you want to They're not going to be on the screen or anything And you just spell them however you want to spell them And nobody will know any different All right. Uh, but just, we'll talk about Kind of the views behind them And what holds water What doesn't hold water Where they come from in that What they're hoping for in that Why they're there um, This is an issue that is going to be More and more prevalent Because we are more and more aware today of the world. I mentioned thinking about my grandfather last week and, you know, that he just had this simple idea. I mentioned this on Sunday. He had this simple idea that he just told people at the truck stop where he was stopping or in the uh, truck shop where he was working about Jesus and that he didn't, he went to the Philippines, but Grants didn't have daily updates on worldwide events. He wasn't coming in contact with people of different faiths and um, different ethnicities uh, I, I was struck a few weeks ago Some of you were here when Larry Gilmore The director of evangelism was here for the state of Tennessee And uh, I, I asked a question Because I just read some stuff About the fact that Nashville The projection is that Nashville Will be in the surrounding counties That touch Davidson County Will have over 2 million people In the next 10 to 15 years Which is an addition Of 750 thousand to a million people almost double in size which is hard to grasp and Nashville is becoming a technology center in some ways for the southeast in some areas and other manufacturing and so it will not only be one of the largest cities in the southeast I think Atlanta will be the only one larger uh, in estimations in what is considered typically southeast Miami is not considered part of the southeast because you've ever been to Miami you It's not really part of this kind of culture. But Nashville will be the most culturally divergent city in the southeast. I was struck that night by Phil Hartman. Y'all know Phil, right? Phil works for IBM and their computer stuff. And Phil has traveled the world doing things. But Phil talked about on his team, he has, and he's talked to me about this, he's got a Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish these are guys that he works with all the time. When I think about my Gramps, now Gramps wasn't a computer engineer, he was a truck driver. Gramps basically worked with Southern Caucasian men good old boys, country boys. On the weekend, they fished, they hunted. They drove pickups, not because it looked cool to drive pickups, because they had to have pickups, and their pickups weren't cool looking, unless you consider banged up and beat up and rusted out, all right? And that was his world. Well, today, we interact all the time with people of different faiths, ethnicities, regions of the world. Eli, when he was in kindergarten, half of his class were minorities. He had students, I've told you this, I think, he had students from Chinese descent, not like just descent, but had lived in China. He had parents from India. He had parents from uh, other eastern countries. He had uh, some African Americans, Hispanics. It was half of the class was a different ethnicity and several different religions. And so the questions that just begin to arise out of that are twofold. One is... Are we right? Now, you and I may not ask that question because we're pretty confident. But people that are kind of on the edge, you know what I mean? People that grew up going to church occasionally or a lot and now go every once in a while begin to say, well, are we right? And they may be investigate some other stuff. And then the second question that kind of flows out of that, are, are we the only ones who are right? And we live in a society that wants to say no. You're all kind of there. I uh, was thinking about this this week, and um, th- there's a book that I read parts of called Salvation in a Pluralistic World. Okay? And uh, here are just some examples that they list about people that came. Melanie just returned to campus after a semester of social work in Nigeria. How could anyone believe that those people aren't saved, she blurted out in her Christian theology. They are more giving and caring than I am. Dr. Smith is an American college professor, spent a summer teaching Christians in a Muslim-dominated Sudan, and wonders how God could so arrange a world that he, the professor, has the advantage of growing up in a Christian-dominated culture where the gospel is heard easily, where thousands of Muslims in Sudan never hear the gospel. Every summer, hundreds of Chicago restaurants pitch their tents in Grant Park to host a smorgasbord of culinary delights from the everyday to the exotic. The curious and the hungry come sample the feast without guilt or commitment. And recently, they did the same thing for religions. The world parliament on religions. Moral adherence to African traditional religions, virtuous Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, Jews, All came and shared what was going on with their faith. Remember the name Gandhi? Kind of made a movie about him, right? Someone asked him one time why he didn't try to convince people of his own faith. And he said, in the realm of the political and the social and the economic, we can sufficiently certainly convert. But in the realm of religion, there is not sufficient certainty to convert anybody. Therefore, there can be no conversions in religion. Western societies have begun to demand that we not just hear other people, but we validate them. Um, in this book, it says this interesting thing. It says, each religious religion must treat the others as if they have access to God. Popularly, we call that the political correctness. Everyone has an equal voice, especially the marginalized, the disenfranchised and that is why the chief virtue in our society is never having to say you're wrong, letting the other have his or her opinion. Religious beliefs amount in our society to little more than matters of personal taste, kind of in line with the preference for ice cream or movies. Now, now think about this. If I were to poll us here today and said, All right, what, what's your favorite ice cream? Okay. How many of you would say vanilla? That's it, all right. How many of you are chocolate people? All right. Somebody else, tell me something I didn't ask you. What's your butter pecan? All right. what was that? Was that what y'all had back there? Butter pecan. Is it? That... Huh? Pralines and cream. You were butter pecan. Cherry and vanilla. Cherry vanilla. Strawberry ice cream. Anything with nuts and chocolate, alright? So Jack's a little nuts back there. Mine, which is correct, is Bluebell chocolate chip ice cream. If you've never had Bluebell chocolate chip ice cream, I'm sorry for you. Um, but ice cream preferences are exactly that, right? They're preferences. And as hard as I can try, I can't convince you that my preference is any better than your preference. Now, we could try to come up with arguments, but we can't. I can't give you an airtight argument why Blue Bell chocolate chip ice cream is better than your normal, everyday butter pecan, all right? I can, in my experience, I think it's better, but I can't convince you of that. Well, in our society, people kind of take that same approach to religion. Well, that's fine for you. You like that. I I'm, I like I like chocolate chip mint you like that that's okay i i'm I'm a Buddhist, and in that kind of society, what is happening is not just that people won't listen sometimes. it's that it becomes wrong to try to convince people otherwise. So let me ask you a question well, what does the Bible say on this issue? What does the Bible say about? Multiple religions, do they have a pathway to God? Where is that, Cliff? John 14, 6. The Bible also says that God's desire is that everybody gets to come saved, and God gets what he wants. Somebody else, anywhere else? John 14, 6, our only anchor point there. The Bible says that God is merciful and loving and gracious, that he desires that no one should perish, that God's love is infinite, and an infinite love would be infinitely able to love all people. God is generous. He is a God that it tells us in the book of Revelation we'll have people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And there are tribes and tongues and nations that have never heard of the gospel, can't get the gospel. How in the world are they going to be there? If there aren't other ways. I mean, you've met some people. I mean, some good people. Some some people that aren't Christians. Maybe they're good old boys down the street or maybe they're, they're your Hindu neighbor or maybe they're a Jewish neighbor or maybe they're just somebody that doesn't go to church and they're just as good as they do the same thing i mean they talk the same way they act the same way there's no real i mean they're good people they give they give all the time to the red cross and they give to organizations i mean surely god is not going to punish them and what about those people that god doesn't even allow the opportunity to hear surely god's not going to hold them responsible because we didn't do our job you see how the argument gets made now here's the thing. There is a spectrum that we can go on from everybody gets in to nobody but believers in Jesus get in. What I want to do tonight is take you on that spectrum, okay? Now, John 14:6 is a good passage. Acts 4:12 is another one. There is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved except for the name of Jesus. We're going to look at some ways that people kind of get around that. I don't necessarily think they're good ways. And I'm going to recommend, if you really are interested in this kind of thing, uh, this book is called Four Views on Salvation in a Pluralistic World. And it has people, the thing I like about this book, these views I'm about to give you, it has people that actually believe them, write the chapter on them. So it's not me, as somebody that believes Jesus only saves, saying this is what a Pluralist view, believes it's this is a pluralist and this is what he believes and then they let people from other perspectives write well this is where I disagree but um, it's an interesting book now it's part of a series that they do Zondervan's do it and then uh, the Baptists are doing one too the Baptist is called Perspectives on it's an interesting series but it, they just get people from different places all right the first view is called universalism what is universalism might know what universalism means. Everybody gets to heaven. Okay? And believers, people that claim the Christian faith, would say that that comes out of the fact that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the entire world. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So they say, well, if every knee is bowing and every tongue confessing, and it says in that in Scripture that if you confess with your heart, or confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that you shall be saved. So everybody is going to come to a place where they will accept the Lord. Uh, some people call this eschatological universalism, which means that after it's over, uh, there's the place where you go and you're in limbo for a little while. It's called purgatory in the Catholic faith. But you're there for a little while, and you work out your sins there, or you get opportunities to kind of better yourself there. Um, The book that we talk about, Love Wins, I haven't read it yet, but from what I've read about it, he is a guy that believes that eventually everyone will come to faith in Christ. Maybe not in this life, but eventually everyone will. And so what that means is no eternal punishment. We all end up in heaven. There will be billions and billions of us, and we will all sing, Oh, Happy Day. Okay? Okay? So that's universalism. They would use verses like I mentioned, the world verses. They don't necessarily um, use them well, but they use them. This is what I, I call the all dogs go to heaven view. Right? Remember there were those movies out, all dogs go to heaven, and uh, that wasn't what they were teaching. But the idea that everybody gets to heaven is just depending on there. Now, people don't really believe this. Because all you got to do is mention two or three names to them and they will say, oh, no, no, they're not going to be there. You mentioned Adolf Hitler. Hitler's not going to be Well, everybody's, no, no, he's not going to be there. So they don't really believe this a lot of times. Now, there are hardcore scholars that say, well, eventually, yes, he will be. But you just talk to normal people that think everybody gets in and you go, well, what about, um, what about Saddam Hussein or Jeffrey Dahmer, which <coughs> Jeffrey Dahmer apparently made a confession in christ weeks before he was executed so that's kind of a bad example but you know i mean ted bundy these people they are serial killers okay with no remorse well no 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 they won't but everybody else unless you do really bad stuff you're going to get there okay so that's one view universalism here's what i would say about universalism i I don't think the bible um anyway suggests that that is true okay um There's just not any way that the Bible teaches that. The second one is called pluralism. Now, the guy that has made this real um, famous is a guy named John Hick. Now, John Hick sounds like he's from Waverly, Tennessee, but he is an English, Cambridge, Oxford educated gentleman. All right? And John Hick grew up, uh, heard some stuff about God, went to college in college he had a university um, press fellowship come and talk to him about Jesus and in his words I had an evangelical Jesus experience now now he he uh, he's moved way away from that and he he says he has an evangelical um, experience with the man described as Jesus in the book called the Bible Um, He's distancing himself. John Hick had this experience in college, and then he began to travel abroad. And he began to meet Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and all of these people. And he came back and he thought, they're better than the Christians I know. And he got to thinking, okay, I know it's not right to compare one Christian to one Hindu. He said, because we all got our bad apples. He said, but I started thinking, On the average, shouldn't people who have a direct line from God and the Holy Spirit of God living within them be better people, on the average, than people that don't? And it really started to bother him. And so he began to think, well, maybe all these religions, everybody kind of looks the same because they're all going to the same place. And in pluralism, what they believe is this. They believe that all the religions of the world point to the truth or God. And that you take different things out of each religion and that eventually you would get a complete picture of God based on the whole religions. And they believe that people in following their own faith can eventually find God. So a Buddhist who is actively engaged in going after Buddhism can find the God that we know. Just the same as a Christian can. And they, believe it or not, use uh, scriptures here. Not a lot and not well. But they would claim that some of the people you meet of different peoples that came... um, in the Old Testament, especially in the New Testament, people were called God-fearers that had followed their faith path and then had discovered that, hey, this relates to this to your God. Uh, they would rela- they would talk about Paul in uh, in Athens when he's there and he says, I see you have statues to all these gods, and would say that he doesn't condemn those gods. He just says that all of these really are searching for the one true God, and he gives them another piece of that puzzle. Um, John Hick would say that his definition is that major world religions provide independent access to the divine reality. So this is this is the Western American thought now. One of the scary things about the millennials, if you look at the, this group of people that were born from 1980 to the year 2000, about... 45 to 50 percent of them, even that have church attendance regularly, say that it doesn't really matter what faith you believe in, just as long as you go after that real hard. Eventually, you'll find where you're going. Um, this is the attitude that our media has taken, our movies have taken, our television, our music. This kind of idea that we're all kind of in this together. Um, That we all kind of have a spark in this faith. And maybe yours is a little farther along down the path, but we're all kind of there. And, And Hick would say, listen, because you can find the same basic themes in all religions. And he would say, you can find the golden rule in almost every major religion. Which, the truth is, you can find a lot of things like it. You can't find that one, though. And he would say now, he doesn't believe the Bible, so that makes it difficult for him to argue from the Bible because he doesn't believe it. But his point would be, you're doing okay with what you're doing. You just keep doing what you're doing because eventually we'll all get there. Not exactly universalism because it does encourage religious stuff, but it's moving that way. Then we come to something called inclusivism. All right? Inclusivism says that Jesus is the only mediator of salvation. That sounds good, right? But there might be lots of ways to get there. This comes, a guy named Carl Rahner developed a term. Anybody ever heard the term anonymous Christians? He said there are people in the world that are Christians, they just don't know it. He would say Gandhi was a Christian. He just didn't know it. That somehow Jesus applied his salvation to Gandhi because of Gandhi's sincerity. That Jesus is the only way to be saved, but that Jesus can apply that however he wants to. And we don't understand it fully. Now, Carl Wanner is not the most famous person to kind of be in this camp. There's a guy named C.S. Lewis. Have you ever heard of C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis was here. He said there's enough in other religions that they can somehow respond to it that God will save them through the blood of Jesus, but they don't have to make that um, declaration of faith for Him to do it. They would use verses like First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God's love is broad and inclusive. Matthew, chapter 20, verse 15, that God's generosity cannot be discounted. 1 John 2, 2, that Christ died for the sins of the world. And Revelation, chapter 4, verse 2, where it describes this rainbow at the divine worship service of people from all ages, nations, tribes, tongues. Now, here's where we get to really strange stuff. Because there's a guy named Clark Pinnock that is an inclusivist because he wants to be, but he can't figure out how to explain it. So someone said, well, how does one have the forgiveness of sins from Jesus without accepting what Jesus has done? And he, without admitting it, pointed to a theory called post-mortem evangelism. Anybody ever heard of post-mortem evangelism? Okay, what does post-mortem mean? After death evangelism. He believes or said he believed that if someone never got a first chance, because somebody said, you're saying they get a second chance after death. He goes, no, this is for people that never had a first chance. Once they die, they go to a special little room, and there Jesus presents the gospel to them. And they have a choice to accept or decline. If they accept, they go to heaven. If they decline, they don't. But he said, how many people do you really think standing in front of Jesus after their death are going to say no? That's what he said, which is a good you know, good question. So they would say, this is, this is the view. Inclusivism is the view of people that have grown up in a world where they understand the world. And even though the Bible tells us that the way to God is not wide, it is narrow. They want it to be wide. Um, it's a similar struggle that we have when we meet people that don't believe like we do or have the moral values that we do, and yet they are nice people. It's why I think we live in a culture now that demonizes people that don't agree with you you know what i mean you watch television at night you watch the news it's not just that the republicans and the democrats don't agree on some issues the idea is they don't like each other because they don't agree on issues now how much of that is for us in the public so that we get geared up to go vote the bums out i don't know how much is it behind the doors they're slapping each other on the back and playing a game of golf or whatever and, you know, having a good time and they really like each other. I don't know. But there's this perception that if you don't agree with me, you're the enemy. So we've grown up in this world that has that kind of taste that we, we don't want that. And we see all this coverage from all over the world, these people that are good people, nice people. And we're trying to explain, well, how can God let those people spend eternity in hell? How can my neighbor, who... Doesn't go to church I tried to talk to him about salvation one time And he didn't care And yet when I was sick He came over and mowed my lawn And picked up my trash And helped me out However he could and his wife baked me a cake And brought it over How can they be somebody that Is going to spend eternity in hell If they don't believe in Jesus I don't have all the answers But what I can tell you is those first three I talked about, universalism, inclusivism, pluralism, they're not biblical. Now, I don't think that means that I'm more caring than God either. Well, if God would just care about people like I do, they wouldn't have to worry about that. I mean, God gave us a way. Let's look at Acts chapter 4. I want us to remember the situation they were in because they were in a non-pluralistic world, okay? You could get in trouble if you preached against what they believed. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message... Believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. So, Peter and John are in jail. Annas, the high priest, was there, as were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, verse 8, and this is important, filled with the Holy Spirit, means it's a message directly from God, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone or capstone. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. In case they missed that. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, Here's what you can do with that passage of Scripture. You can believe it or not. You can trust it or not. But what you can't do, I don't think, is believe it and work around it. Well, that's what they said. But, I'm not sure that's what what we we know what they mean. Who are they talking to? Who are they talking to? Sadducees, priest, captain of the temple card. Anybody know who Caiaphas is? Remember that name. High priest. He was kind of important in the trial of Jesus. Annas was there. I don't know who John and now are, but apparently those are pretty big names for people. Um, Alexander was kind of a Greek name so it may have been a Greek a Roman or Greek official that was there official of the Romans um, and they say what power do you have and they say well it's Jesus but they don't stop there I mean their lives are on the line here we're in Acts chapter 4 right that's how many chapters away from the gospel is that it's four right I well, know that's complicated math Acts 4 is the fourth chapter after the Gospels, okay? What happened at the end of the Gospels? What happened to Jesus at the end of the Gospels? What's that? He ascended into heaven. What was right before that? Forty days before that? He rose again from the grave. What was three days before that? He was killed. Why was he killed? Because he was preaching things they didn't like to hear, right? So here we are, 55, six days after that. So, you know, we're talking about two and a half months later. We're well, not two and a half. We're talking about less than two months later. Less than two months later. So let's just say that happened in April. We're talking in June. These guys stand up and say, oh, we're doing this by the guy that you killed. Because you killed the Son of God, the only name under heaven by which man be saved. You killed God. They're risking their lives here. If ever there was a time when they said, and he's one of the ways you get to God. He might be a way to salvation. They're probably your your way's probably okay too, but but ours is, is really good. And they didn't ask it ask about salvation, they just offered it. They're witnessing to these guys. Now here's what that means. It means that what they're saying here is the deepest part of who they are. Days after they were given final instructions from their Savior. And so you can do a lot of things with it after you either believe it or you don't. For me, the reason I find myself, and you probably do, as an exclusivist. You didn't know you were an exclusivist, did you? Doesn't that name sound bad? I am exclusivist. In fact, there's people that don't like that, so they've changed it to they are particularist. So you're an exclusive particularist If you believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation Now here are the implications of that First of all it does not mean that God is unloving I think I've shared this with you before But one of the best explanations I ever heard about this um, Comes from a video series for children That our children are doing right now Called What's in the Bible And in the video series What's in the Bible They have these questions Uh, they have a, a news anchor named Buck Denver that's a puppet. And uh, it's going it's to sound really weird as I describe it, but just follow with me, all right? So they have a puppet that takes questions from readers about really difficult questions. And uh, in one of the videos, for some reason, it's a pirate theme, and they do tricky bits with Buck Denver. That's the news guy's name. And they say, why did God kill all those people in the Old Testament? Why did God tell all those people in the Old Testament, tell the Israelites to kill them all? And the guy that, that is behind the What's in the Bible series is the guy that started VeggieTales. And so he starts to explain. And he talks about He says, remember God created us, and we turned our backs on God. All of us turned our backs on God. And he goes through some explanation, and he says, the people in the Old Testament that died were just getting what they deserved for turning their back on the Lord. He said the real question is not why did they get what they deserved? The question is why do we not? And the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not God just capriciously saying all you are going to hell. What it is is God saying I'm going to make a way where you don't have to. And sending his son to die for our sins and giving us an option and a way. Is the way God provided for us a method and a means and an opportunity for salvation? So from our minds, we have to get out of the question of why is God cruel to those that don't believe? The question is, why is he so good to those of us who do? Now, here's the implication for you and for me. Because in the book of Romans, Paul says, how can people believe if they have not heard? And how can people hear if they are not told? And how can they be told if people are not sent? The reason I believe in missions is because there are 4 billion people on this planet, at least, who are not believers in Jesus Christ or have heard of who he is. In some ways, the reason this is still a question is because believers haven't done their job. You know the most recognized symbol on the earth. Do you know what it is? It's not McDonald's and it's not the cross. It's a red with a white stripe and C O C A C O L A. Russell would be proud probably. Coca-Cola. Part of the reason is they they set a goal from a company based in Atlanta, Georgia for the entire world to know there's something. We go to Brazil. We're in Brazil. We eat rice and beans and beans and rice. That's what we eat. They have chocolate cake for breakfast. And they do, right? They have chocolate cake for breakfast. And you can have your chocolate cake for breakfast along with the selection of cold cuts. Ham, turkey. I don't know they have turkey. Basically ham and other kinds of ham. And hard cheese, all right, with bread. That's that's breakfast. It's different. The food down there is completely different. It's good. I like it, but it's different. Lunch is different. They cook their chicken different. They cook their meat different. Everything about Brazil, there is very little the same in Brazil as it is here. But you know what your choice is for drink at night? Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero or a drink called Guanana Quatch, which is Coca-Cola Brazilian drink. Because they determined they were going to get their name to every nation on the earth. And they have somewhere, the last I saw it was something like a 92% saturation level worldwide logo 92% from a company with sugar water in Atlanta, Georgia and yet we are having a hard time figuring out how to get people where they need to go that's our task part of the reason some of these people as I've read their biographies came up with some of these views or believe them is because they're frustrated with the inability of us to do what we're supposed to do. The reason we talk about send money, send people on missions is because I believe we are supposed to be part of telling the world that there is no name under heaven by which men can be saved except for the name of Jesus. And that's all I can believe because that's what the Bible tells me. Now, the question isn't really, can I believe that intellectually? The question is, do I live that day to day? All right? So don't get caught up in universalism, pluralism, inclusivism, exclusivism, particularism. Only Jesus saves. And it's our job to communicate that.